0: So do you fix and flip houses or invest in real estate or just want to get started doing so? Well, Alpha Funding has you covered with fast, flexible, and reliable service and rates starting as low as 8.99%. Fast closings, no tax documentation or bank statements required, no prepayment penalties, seasoning, or minimum draw requirements. Alpha Funding, the softer side of hard money. To get yourself pre-approved today, go to alphafunding.com or call 732-657-2014. Well, hello again. Welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. You're with Jason today. Peely's out there making it happen, taking care of kiddos and doing real estate at the same time as only mothers can. But we are super excited today because we have a great episode talking about a concept that we haven't tackled before, which after 300 episodes really is striking. But we're super excited to have Mark Willis on the show. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Hey, doing great. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for coming on. And uh, here's a little bit about Mark. Mark Willis is a man on a mission to help you think differently about banks, Wall Street's abuses, and from financial uncertainty. After graduating with six figures of student loan debt, I'm sure a lot of... uh, people listening can also feel that as well. And discovering a way to turn his debt into real estate wealth, he watched everybody lose their retirement investments and in home equity in 2008. He knew that he needed to find a sane way to meet his financial objectives and those of his clients. Mark's a certified financial planner, a number one best-selling author, and owner of Lake Growth Financial Services, a financial firm in Chicago, Illinois. Over the years, he's helped hundreds of his clients take back control of their financial future and build their businesses with sophisticated, tax-efficient financial solutions, and he specializes in building building custom-tailored financial strategies that are unknown to typical stock jockeys, attorneys, or financial gurus. gurus. Well, that leads us right in because we are going to jump into the self-banking concept, which we haven't covered yet today. But again, let's jump back, right? Because a lot of people, whether they're just getting out of college or, or they're still you know, 10 years out of college, may still have a substantial amount of student debt. You, you, a lot of a lot of talk now today about you go to college and, and you almost pivot, you know, you, you study whatever you study, you do whatever you do, you know, you, you're, you're a history major and all of a sudden now you're working in construction management or, you know, you're, you're an engineer and that you graduate with and next thing you know, you're in restaurant management. You're, you're never really aligned, but you ultimately, the, the thing that usually is the thing that happens is you still have a substantial amount of debt. What was that feeling and what was that trajectory in your mind when you say, well, this is just nuts. How am I going to deal with this and how am I going to make a move to get myself out of it?
1: Oh, man. Well, our story is, um, it's wrapped up in the nation's story where we've now seen the ballooning of student loan debt over the last 10, 12 years. My wife and I, uh, we graduated from uh, three private school degrees and had about $120,000 of student loan debt between us and no, no job and no plan to pay it off. And I mean, it was bananas and right in the middle of the Great Recession. So talk about a great time to start life uh, together. So we, I kind of jokingly say I married two women in college. One was my gorgeous wife and the other was Sally Mae. Uh, and Sally Mae did not belong in that marriage. She, we had to get her out fast, but we didn't know the best way to do it. And that kind of started my little journey into finance. Personally, wanted to learn more about my own relationship to money uh, and in the process began working for a CPA. Uh, in the midst of the great recession. So I was helping her with some tax preparation, but as she would make calls to her clients, we were hearing, I was overhearing some of the conversations. She, she'd talked to a 62 year old, for example, saying, Hey, sorry, I just lost you half of your life savings. (laughs) So, you know, we're talking about stocks, bonds, mutual funds, the typical uh, classical ways to prepare for the future. And I was, I'm a certified financial planner. So I've been classically trained in the financial world. And I get it. I understand it. I see it all the time. uh, And we can talk about it. However, I do not believe that uh, Wall Street is the most efficient or even the best way to prepare for a financially stress-free future. Uh, And part of the reason why is why we've kind of moved into Wall Street is because of the debt. Back in 1940, according to the U.S. Commerce Bureau, uh, in in 1940, the average debt was only 11% of our income. So if you made hundred bucks this month, you'd spend $11 on debt and you'd save close to $30 of your income. So, you know, you'd save 30% of your money and spend 11% on debt. Well, back in just a year or two ago, they did these numbers again. Now we're at, we basically flip-flopped it. You know, we're saving less than 5% of our money and we're spending 36% of our income on servicing debts. Wow. 36% of our income. So let's take a minute here. If money, Uh, is an important part of your financial future. This is an important conversation, right? If time is money, what's 36% of your day? You know, what are you doing for a 30 year day? Basically earning income, working for the bank. You know, we're all slaves to the bank. If we're on average with the average American. Now, if you're less than 30 36%, that means somebody else listening to this is twice as bad, right? If that's the average. So anyway, that's a bit about my story. We ended up having some incredible things that happened to us that helped us pay off our student loan debt, but also invest, real estate and so forth. So we can talk about all that today for your listeners. Sure. What
0: is of that 36%, how much is that related to just, I would say, home or or mortgage? Or do you have that number? And how much
1: is just ancillary debts? I don't have it broken down, but I can read uh, the list of credit cards, mortgages, HELOCs, car loans, student loans, investment debt, all the things that you might consider. You know, I had a a gentleman one time making good income. He was a doctor making a quarter million dollars a year, but he was spending $80,000 on his two houses, his boat, his cars, everything, right? That's a third of his income going to interest payments just to service the debt. Uh, Meanwhile, he was super proud of his 10% in his mutual funds. Right, so it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense if we're if we're chasing rate of return, which is not guaranteed, and then we're spending after tax guaranteed rate of return of thirty plus percent of our money on debt. That's a losing battle. I don't care who you are, you know. So we've we've got to find a better way. We've got to play financial uh, judo here, where we take the power of interest against us, the the function of banking that's currently leveraged against us. Uh, and use it to our advantage, whether we've got a couple of credit cards or whether we've got 50 doors in our portfolio that are leveraged with uh, with mortgage loans. So it sure. really comes down to becoming your own banker. That is the I would I believe that that is the single biggest um, choice you can make in your financial portfolio. More than whatever ETF you want to buy, or you know whatever mutual fund you want to get into, or whatever real estate you found uh, in the in the down the street. The most important thing you can say is. What's the best way to bring the banking function back into my own life so that I can actually build wealth off of the interest that I was currently sending to the banks, credit cards, finance companies, mortgage companies? That alone has more to do with your financial freedom than any other choice uh, uh, in in your financial life.
0: So let's talk about this, right? Because traditionally people think, okay, banking, right? Oh, I need a loan. So I'm going to go down to the bank, Mr. and Mrs. Banker. I'm going to show you, you know, this is how much I make every year. You know, how much can I get approved for a loan? You know, what kind of house can I buy? And that, that's going to be the whole process. And, you know, yeah. I'm going to hope and pray that I can, I can get it, it, this much house and, and at this point and, you know, at this interest rate, let's see what they say. And the stress is in there. How do I take that back?
1: Yeah. Well, the problem with banks is that it's not the banking function. Banking is a super incredible business. If you haven't already found financial freedom and you're looking for a good business to get into, start a bank. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, if you happen to have $10 million laying around and want to go through the process of getting FDIC insured, but literally think of what banks do. They lend money when times are good and take it back when times are bad. Right. Um, so when are you most likely uh, going to need cash? Well, probably during a crisis, right? Mm -hmm. When are banks least likely going to give it to you? During a crisis. Uh, And by the way, if you have a lot of real estate, when is it going to be the hardest to sell your property at a fair price? You guessed it, right? Yeah. During a crisis. So banks, there's an old quote by Mark Twain. He says, a banker is a fellow who will lend you his umbrella when the sun is shining, but wants it back as soon as it starts to rain. That's great. (laughs) So if you, could, if you could become your own banker, use that, that function of banking, of lending and paying interest and letting that money do more than one job at a time like banks do through the process of what's called fractional reserve banking. If you can follow that method yourself, if you can bring that in-house, uh, that will help tremendously in giving you more control, giving you more predictability and liquid access to cash so you can take advantage of opportunities when banks stop lending again, the next go around, whenever we have another recession whether that's this year or 10 years from now, the day will come when banks cut the, you know, cut the supply off to us, as uh, real estate investors. And it'll only be the people with a big pool of contingency cash that'll be able to take advantage of deals.
0: Okay. So walk us through it. How do you go through this process of converting your mindset and actually, actually doing it?
1: Yeah, it's really very simple. You know, you've got to, you've got to have a mindset first. That's exactly right. You've got to think like a banker and start to use the environment to, of your financial life to actually do the banking process in house, but it also takes actual tools. You know, uh, we can't just imagine that we're Tiger Woods. We got to actually, you know, get his skill set and actually have a couple of golf clubs in our in our in our bag, right? So one of the best ways that we've been able to find uh, best tools that we've been able to use for the banking on yourself process is a little known form of it's basically a variation. Uh, on old-fashioned whole life insurance. So you're using this tool of whole life insurance, uh, but modernizing it for the banking process. Now, um, a lot of people, myself included, Jason, when I first heard about this strategy, was totally turned off to whole life insurance because I'd been, again, kind of just straight up, you know, straight-laced, buy term and invest the rest, get into mutual funds, stocks, bonds, 60-40 blend, 4% rule off my retirement portfolio, all of that stuff, and when I heard that, were you know, I was intrigued by how to pay off my debts and to invest in real estate like a banker. Um, but when I heard it was whole life insurance, I almost turned it off. I almost walked away. Um, this is not your father's whole life insurance. Is all I can say. You know, this is like modernized for massive cash accumulation. We're talking about squeezing down the death benefit and expenses on this policy. And cutting the commissions to whoever built it for you by about 50 to 70%. Uh, and we're needing it to be a dividend paying whole life insurance policy. And it needs to grow on a guaranteed basis every single year, no matter what's going on in the real estate world or, or stock market. And then we want to have access to that cash. So you get access to this money if it's in a whole life policy. There's a big pool of cash called a cash value mm-hmm. Jason, that you can use for any purpose, You know whether you're using it to take your family to Disney World or invest in your um, real estate deals or fixing up your kitchen at home. You, know, you can Got use it. that policy for any purpose you choose. And once it's in there, it grows on a guaranteed schedule for the rest of your life. And you get access to that either through a withdrawal or you can borrow from it. So we can talk some more about that part first, but let me pull over for a minute. Sure. <laughs> it's not making sense or what questions so far? So
0: right now, Okay. Life insurance policy. Typical life insurance policy. You, you find a broker, you get you you know a policy, whether it's term or life, term or whole. Um, and let's say I, I'm assuming this is more tiered toward towards a whole life policy equivalent. And you're gonna put money in, you know, monthly to basically um, substantiate your 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 overall uh, death benefit. But ultimately, you're gonna have some cash value that builds up over the course of the policy. Um, And then hopefully you get some dividends that are paid into the policy, depending on who it is, you know. That's right. um, We're talking today that there is a way to use a policy to our advantage where we're maybe lowering the ultimate death benefit in the short run because we wanna be able
1: to maximize our cash value from day one. Would I be taking that correctly? That's it. Correct. Yeah. Generally, we see the cash values at about eight to 40 times more than old-fashioned whole life insurance. And the reason that's possible is did the advisor, the financial planner, the CPA, the you know, insurance agent, did he or she know how to design this from the get-go? Got now, it. If I'm If I'm wanting to design this for death benefit purposes, I'm not going to have any cash value in the first few years. Zero. Big goose egg. If on the other hand, we can squeeze that death benefit down as small as possible while keeping some of the tax advantages of life insurance intact, you can flood that cash value with money in the first month, in the first year, in the first couple of years. It's all there and it's building on, on, a, on a schedule that you can kind of plan for and say, all right, this first year, I'm going to have X dollars in my policy. I'm going to use it to buy, you know, to, to wipe out my HOA specials or my property taxes or you know, my, my down payment on my next deal I want to flip or whatever new thing you want to do. And as the years go on, you start paying for properties with cash or becoming a, a money lender with a hard money lender with uh, with your own cash value. So it's really, you know, a, a really up to you how you decide to use that cash value. So a couple questions here.
0: I, 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 so it would be important with the policy for how much you can put in day one. Would that be correct? That's right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, each so-
1: one's custom designed.
0: So the more you put in day one, you know, whether, it, but ultimately the difference here, where if you were doing an ultimate life policy, maybe you're just starting out paying a thousand hours a month, but here it would make more sense if you put 20,000 hours in day one, because you may have more access to that cash.
1: Correct. Yeah. 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 If the money is still in there and accessible to you, you know, that typically allows folks to feel more comfortable packing in large sums of cash, a big windfall they received from their last deal that they sold or other monies that's just kind of souring in a savings account, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you can reposition that into a policy and have that money working for you.
0: Exactly. Now, how does the interest play where you, if I take out money, um, say, just arbit- arbitrary number, I put in $50,000 day one yeah. and I have available cash, whatever that is. So let's say 40,000 just for kicks. If sure. I take out you know, that money to use for a flip, yeah. am I
1: paying interest back to who? Yeah, great. Okay, so first of all, yes, the loan feature is a pretty interesting feature here, and different insurance companies do different things when you borrow from their policies. So again, it really is important if you take nothing else from this episode to find a, um, a, an advisor that's been really trained and certified in this. Uh, I kind of liken it to the you know the label USDA organic, you know, yep. at the grocery store. Yep. It means something, you know, and they had to go through like sixteen steps to get that label. All you have to know is it's got that label, right? So the label that I would recommend folks look, look into is it's what's known as the bank on yourself authorized advisor. That's, that's the one that's gone through an actual training process and is held to those requirements that we'll be describing on this episode. So anyway, if the money's in there, we got 40 grand, let's say that you could access or use for the borrowing feature. Basically, you can get access to that cash in about three to five business days Uh, There are no fees to get your money. There's no loan origination costs or any closing costs or anything like that. It's just your money. You Mm -hmm. don't get underwritten for it. You don't have to prove that you're credit worthy. It's your cash. Um, So
0: Alpha Funding Solutions offers creative financing tailored to your individual needs. Whether you're fixing and flipping distressed properties or building ground-up construction, Alpha offers flexible financing to get the job done. With no minimum draw requirements, no prepay penalties, and no seasoning requirements, borrowers can create a construction loan that best suits their individual needs. Everything at Alpha is done in-house from the sales force to underwriting, construction management, and draw payouts. The team at Alpha works as a unit to best serve their happy family of over 1,000 borrowers. Experience the Alpha difference today. Visit www.alphafunding.com or call 732-657-2014. Again, that's alphafunding.com, and the number is 732-657-2014. There's nothing to lose and everything to gain. Alpha Funding Solutions, the softer side of hard money.
1: Um, so also jason when you do borrow from the policy it does not uh, require a monthly or even annual repayment to the loan so that's maybe new information to a lot of folks but so if i'm doing a a flip for example and i needed 40 grand to do to buy the deal i don't have to put a dime into the loan repayment until i sell that property whatever Mm -hmm. six months a year from now two years from now uh if i pass away with the loan outstanding they'll just reduce my death benefit by that 40 grand or whatever the number was at that time. Does that make sense so far?
0: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right.
1: The other huge thing to keep in mind, and I think this is so cool is that your cash value will continue to grow as if you had not taken the loan. Got it. So I'll say that a different way because that is sometimes sort of mind bending to a lot of people, (laughs) myself included. So when I access the cash value, my money grows uh, as if I hadn't touched a dime of it. All right, so if I've got that, and, and how is that possible, right? Um, so the insurance company is generally going to give you money from their, their pool of cash, their general portfolio, okay? The insurance company is where the money comes from when I borrow cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, my policy is still intact. A lot of folks might have a HELOC or know what a HELOC is. Um, so if I've got a, a home growing at 4% a year in the neighborhood, let's say, um, you know, just a, my my normal residence growing in the neighborhood. And let's say it's worth a hundred grand, just for simple numbers here. Let's say I've got a house worth a hundred grand, and I have a HELOC on my house. Let's say for thirty thousand dollars, my home is still growing, as if I didn't have any HELOC on it, right? Got it. You know, it's not like the 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 Zillow estimate is going to be less because I have a HELOC on my on my house. I'm just using that portion of my equity as collateral right so the yeah. the same is true with these specific kind of policies the the technical long words if folks really want to google this is it's called non direct recognition life insurance loans that's the mouthful non direct recognition got <laughs> so, it again the short words to remember is bank on yourself that's all you got to know when you're wanting to search up, search this but um, anyway if you have that particular loan provision on your insurance policy the policy will continue to grow even on that capital you borrow out because they're simply using your cash value as collateral. The insurance company is giving you cash from their pool, and using your cash value as collateral while the loan is outstanding. Interesting. Interesting. And that lets your money do two things at once, just like a bank. It's phenomenal.
0: Yeah. And so, are you? If I do pull that money out and I don't have to pay it back any time, is there some interest due because I am taking it from the insurance company's pool and not You're exactly oil? right.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And thanks for bringing that up again. So yes, the insurance company isn't doing this for charity. You know, they get it. They want to make money uh, off any kind of investments, whether it's their bond portfolio or a policy loan that we took. All right. So um, the interest that's paid to the insurance pool is real cost. It's a cost of capital when you're borrowing from that, that life insurance policy. Uh, Just to give you an idea, it is simple interest so over let's say a 4 year period um that might be around 1 to 2% apr okay so 1 to 2% is pretty good when it yeah. comes to financing you know your your cash now remember the policy is still growing even on that capital you borrowed much more than 1 to 2% a year uh over the last 50 60 years jason it's been somewhere in the ballpark of 4 to 6% uh growth on the on the cash value it's just depends on how the policy was designed and what the dividends are and that sort of thing. But that's a ballpark.
0: So, so this is the, I'm sorry to cut you off. So just so one to 2% is overall over the course of the hold is what you would anticipate paying back APR to the insurance company. Whenever you pay this off or pay this back.
1: Um, yeah, so- because Because it's simple interest, how you pay it back matters, you know, so the sooner you pay it off, the lower your APR. Simple interest, you know, I wish wish our mortgages were simple interest, right? I wish our credit cards were simple interest. You know, the organization of of how you pay your interest makes a big difference on how much it costs. So if I paid my loan to the policy off in two years, it might be 1%. If it took me four years to pay off the loan, it would be closer to 2%. Uh, Eight years might be closer to 3%. Uh, but it never gets bigger than about 5%, which is 5% simple interest is what we see most insurance companies offering these days. I have seen it. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, mutual companies uh, will charge 8 sometimes even 9% on the money and not pay you dividends when you borrow. That's not the kind of policy I would recommend for the banking process. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm sure a lot of real estate investors are thinking what I'm thinking about the arbitrage play. Of course you can do here, right? So the right. arbitrage play, and you can think about it from, from any different way. If you're a flipper, well, you have access to capital that you are going to pay back 2%. If you can make 10% on that money over the course of three months, continually paying it off. Well, there you go. Or if you're passively investing in an apartment building, that's paying you an 8% preferred return or, and you know, looks to have an IRR of 14 years with a five-year exit strategy that five years may be costing you, you know, simple interest, three, 4%. Right. So
1: Hmm. yeah. interest. That's exactly right. And the key here is, you know, that interest, where did it go? Well, the interest that I paid, even though it was one or 2%, that's a real cost, but it went back to the pool of the insurance company. Well, if it's a mutual life insurance company, that is a pool that you and I own together kind of like a co-op, you know, you're in essence an owner in the pool that just charged you money. Yeah. And then that comes back to us at the end of the year in the form of dividends. Um, and that's, you know, where that funny, that, that, um, funnels ultimately ends up, uh, at the end of the year. Interesting.
0: So that is a pretty interesting topic that people I think can, can get the picture of how they could service that to use that for their real estate investments. Um, along the line of your business and, and your, your course of work, not just talking towards self banking, but just real estate strategies mm-hmm. overall. What are some of your favorite strategies that you you think investors are missing out on or not taking full advantage of?
1: Well, again, I I do think that the smallest hinges can swing the biggest doors. So you know we've we've seen a fairly high buildup in people's equities over the last ten years. Uh, it may be time to take some money off the table and do some equity harvesting. Uh, You know, so cash out refinances, uh, where you can lock in your real estate gains, uh, taking that dollar every five years, we oftentimes recommend our our real estate investor clients to do some sort of equity harvesting every five to seven years, especially when we're at the end of a bull market. Uh, And it might be um, that only stocks come down in the next correction. But it could also be that we have another, uh, maybe not as severe, but maybe as severe as we saw with real estate in 2008. So all the better to get that money uh, out of the property, out of the drywall and into something that you can access and control. So that's been something we've certainly discussed. We've also talked quite a bit about um, where to put rent money uh, if you don't need to spend it today. Got it, uh, because you know as you take that rent money from the tenants, it's either going to be taxable to you now or in the future. You know, if you've got a self-directed IRA, well. Usually, the rent money is going back into your IRA and building up that wealth in a tax-deferred IRA, self-directed tax-deferred IRA. The key word there is defer. So, how many times do you want to put off bad things? You know, like how many times do you really want to put off getting a root canal? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just going to get worse if we all think taxes will go up in the future. And, you know, the recent tax reform that just came through, Jason, says that we're getting a tax raise in six years. I don't know if your listeners caught that when we went through the reform, reform last year, but there is a uh, individual tax raise at the end of 2025, just six years, really just five years from now, uh, at the end of six years. So that is an increase in our taxes. Do you think that over the next 10, 20, 40 years, taxes could go up more or even a lot more? If our money, if our rent money or any other money is in a tax-postponed IRA or tax-postponed 401k, that could mean serious problems for how much you could actually keep out of that 401k or self-directed IRA. Some people have decided, instead of doing those self-directed IRAs, which is still helpful, still a good strategy in some cases, but also diversifying their their money into one of these policies, that money in the policy would grow and you could have access to it totally tax-free some people have been putting the rent monies and other forms of cash into the policy since it grows basically on a a tax deferred basis and you can get it out totally tax free, of course, under current law. So keep voting.
0: Got it. (laughs) So wait, so just so I'm clearing this, the the policy we're going back to the self banking policy, putting a rent money into paying into that policy. Correct. And staying away from the self-directed IRA because deferring your taxes, you're ultimately going to be getting hit at whatever your our new tax rate is six years from now. Correct.
1: Yeah. 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 And you know, there's again, there's good reasons to do self-directed IRAs, but you know, we can't do any self-dealing with self-directed IRAs. But with the policy, you're able to fix up your own kitchen or flip your own house. Uh, You know, there's all these maintenance costs that come from the IRA funds, typically higher fees than traditional IRAs. There are even RMDs on self-directed IRAs. RMDs are a required minimum distribution, which means we are forced to liquidate those real estate properties when we're 70 years old. If we have that money in an IRA, can you imagine being forced to sell a real estate deal uh, that you really wanted to keep, but you're having to come up with required minimum distributions to pay uh, the, the government when you're 70 years old? So those are some of the the, the pitfalls we see. It certainly serves a place in our portfolio. And Jason, just to be clear, we, we offer... IRAs. We are a full financial firm here at Lake Growth, but it really, you really need to ask yourself the question, what's my exit strategy? Whether it's a real estate deal or one of these life insurance policies or a self-directed IRA, heck, even any business you get into, always ask, what's my exit strategy? Because uh, at the end of the day, we're, we're going to exit everything. So we might as well get a plan together for that uh, as we get, in, get into it. That's great feedback. So, Let's get back to just basics on, on this point.
0: If there's a listener out there, maybe they're 30, they're 40, they're 50, and their financial planning has not been up to par to where it possibly should be. But best way to phrase this would be, what steps should someone take that feels like they're looking from the outside to get on a path today to have a course to meet their financial objectives and retirement, mm-hmm. whatever that may, course may be.
1: I really think, you know, Frodo could have never made it to Mordor by himself. You got to have a fellowship uh, and you need, you oftentimes you need people who are cheering you on and have been there before. So keep listening to Jason, keep listening to awesome podcasts like his, uh, find a guide. Don't get too many guides, find someone that you can trust Uh, I do, I do think folks can sometimes get into analysis paralysis when they listen to too many shows or read too many books, but you know, if you could, if you could just take one little step today, you know, what's the one thing, write down big, audacious, scary goals, and then figure out what's the one thing that'll take you one inch closer to Mordor, or or maybe there's a better place you're heading to (laughs) than a fiery uh, uh, volcano, hopefully. Um, but you know, what's one more step toward your goal today? And who is the guide who's going to help you there? You want to find people who have been there, have done it successfully, and can make uh, a reasonably uh, tangible impact in your life right now. Uh, that's what I would say. And, and just that helps you with your courage. It helps you not feel like it's all by you, all up to you. And you have a little fun doing it with a uh, fellowship of people.
0: What would be some good questions for people to, to, for someone to make sure they have the right person on their team?
1: Yeah. You know, um, the question would be, what do you have in your portfolio? That's one question I love to ask. Uh, any financial planner may or may not know about this particular strategy of self-banking. And if they do know about it, they may have just Googled it before they walked, you walked in their office. Okay. <laughs> so be very careful. Many advisors out there uh, also have, figured out how powerful this concept can be but have never really been trained on it. Maybe they read an article or read a book or something where they, like I said, Googled it or something before you walked in their office. You want to find someone who's got the credentials and expertise. So asking them questions like, uh, have you gone through a bank on yourself authorized advisor training? Uh, How many of these policies do you have in your portfolio? Have you used this for real estate in your own personal life? How many clients are using this strategy in your life or in your practice? Um, you know, who besides me is going to profit from any financial decision I make? That's another big question I would recommend you ask. Who besides me is going to profit from any financial decision I make today? Uh, And am I comfortable with that? Because there is no free lunch anywhere, but maybe we can minimize the cost to you or your listeners and um, make sure that you get to keep more of your cash instead of sending it to An investment advisor on Wall Street. You know, I heard this the other day, Jason, uh, according to the Department of Labor, just a 1% fee on your mutual funds, 1% a year. Doesn't sound like a lot. But over 30 years, that gobbles up almost a third of your life savings. Just 1% fee. Most people's IRAs have more like 1.7% a year on their, so that's that's crazy. I mean, the only people who have a guarantee on your 401k or IRA is the guy or gal who is investing it you know, we're managing your investments for you. You have no guarantees, you have all the fees, they get the guarantees, and they get to keep your cash your fees on that. It just, it doesn't make sense, which is partly why uh, we've decided from our firm's perspective to focus on strategies that actually let our clients keep their cash and disclose that before they sign up with us.
0: I love that, Mark. Well, thanks so much for sharing these strategies today. I know for people that want to listen more, you have a webinar that can give a good basis on it. You want to give us a little feedback, best way to contact you, find out more about you?
1: Sure, thank you. Uh, so Jason, uh, again, uh, it's great to be on your show. The The best way to reach out if you want to answer, have any other questions answered, uh, just go to our, if you like this show, you'll like our podcast. Go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. Uh, we're on all the podca- podcast platforms and apps that you're already listening to the show on. But if you go to our website, not financialpodcast.com, you click on request a meeting right there, you'll get on our calendars. And we will send you a unpublished private webinar we've done for several real estate investors uh, that has been really valuable and answers more questions on this banking strategy than we had time to get into here today. So, uh, And make sure to mention Jason and his show, uh, the foundation show, on, in the notes of that event when you schedule on our, on our calendar. So we're sure to send you that link.
0: Awesome. Mark, this has been great. Thank you. This is a, you know, you, you, you never can stop thinking about what you can do to, to save more money and put your money more to work. And on the real estate side, sometimes we're so active with the investments, but we're missing on the fees and the ultimate cost of capital. And when you pay attention to that and you put the whole picture together for anybody who, who's out there trying to do larger scale projects, well, if you can have more cash, I mean, cash is always king as, as, as much as they say, right? So, but I, I'm, I definitely have to up my, uh, my analogy game for next time you come on the yeah. show here with everything you have going on. But thank you so much for everything you brought to the show today.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, if, if folks can control the financial environment where their money lives, in between the deals that you're doing with real estate, you know, it's just a place to park the cash. And if you have the ability to control that environment, instead of letting a bank control it, you're going to win every time. That's so great. way to go. Keep up the great
0: work. Thanks, Mark. Well, this is Jason with the Real Estate Investing Foundation Podcast. Huge thank you to Mark Willis. Huge thank you to everyone listening. Have a great day. Bye now. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.